Last night, uh, we started uh, our investigation, exploration of the Micah mandate in Micah 6.8. And what we did last night is basically uh, begin our investigation moving towards justice on the basis of receiving what God says to us. That He is a God who speaks and that He is a God who is good and He speaks good news to us. So, if we are going to be advocates of justice, a sustainable justice, then we have to be recipients first. We don't just jump in uh, to the work of justice. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at uh, complements that when we look at what it means to walk humbly with our God. And um, because last night, what we were really talking about and arguing for is that we're trying to step out of ourselves and faith in ourselves. Somebody needs to wake up. I know you didn't wake up yesterday afternoon. Uh, I already know that story. (laughs) Hey, I, I used to work at Emory. I know your story, man. No, I'm kidding. Um, but anyway, um, uh, that, that what we saw yesterday was this stepping out of faith in ourselves where we, by, by nature and by culture, want to put ourselves at the center of the story. We want to be the hero. And really, we are the antagonist. And that that is going to necessarily mean that we need to have a posture of receiving first and then also humility. I mentioned this um, last night, but we're basically inverting Micah's mandate here to kind of show a little bit more clearly the redemptive logic. Um, The focus of Micah is justice. Um, And so what he starts his mandate, do justice love mercy or kindness and walk humbly with our God. We're going to invert those because what's happening here is the walk humbly with God is really our heart posture towards the Lord. That if we're going to be advocates of justice, then we need to first be dependent. And then the second thing is that we're going to look at tonight is the concept of loving mercy, loving kindness, that that God's people are recipients of mercy, and therefore we love to lavish mercy on others, or at least we should. And, um, and, And so that's really our heart posture towards others. And then tomorrow morning we'll look at how that then bears fruit as we actually move into serving others by seeking justice. So I want us to understand kind of the heart position towards God, heart position towards others, and then ultimately the heart of service that we enter into as we do justice. And that's really important that we connect our spirituality with the concept of service and justice. Because um, there's a temptation, I think, uh, among Christians oftentimes. Some of us in this room, if we grew up in the church, we have experience with Christians. Um, some of us understand uh, that we grew up in a church or are connected to Christians who, man, they hear the call for justice and they just jump in. Man, they are so excited. They, 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 they want to do good work in the world. They want to serve the poor. They want to set up soup kitchens. They want to advocate for others. By the way, my my shirt here is uh, a promotion in, of sorts. 99 Balloons is a work uh, that we work with. 
that works with kids with disabilities and families touched by disability. You can find out more about that if you want to hear about it. They have a Hope Heals Camp uh, that goes on in Birmingham. They partner with and uh, in the summertime, and so. Um, but but so we we want to be advocating. For the least of these, we want to be advocating for the marginalized. We want to jump in for justice. But we know that sometimes our spirituality and our service aren't connected very well. And so we kind of assume that Jesus and our convictions about Jesus are secondary and not primary. That the work of justice and serving is primary and Jesus is just auxiliary to that. As though Jesus is an accent piece to justice rather than a centerpiece of justice. And Micah is not going to allow us to have that posture. Because he's going to build this redemptive logic for us of our heart posture towards God, our heart posture towards others, and then ultimately our acts of service. And he's going to anchor our spirituality and our service. And we know that some of us fall in the ditch on the opposite side. That it's also a temptation, either for us or we've seen in the Christian church before, is that they separate spirituality from service as though God is only concerned with your soul. That Jesus just gives you grace to convert you and give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. That, that his only desire for you is that you would repent and believe initially and then don't screw it up too bad before you die or he comes back. And that is a crushing form of spirituality. And Micah's not going to allow us to have that form of spirituality either. Because he's going to say that our spirituality is not just for our personal salvation, but also for the social good. That we cannot privatize our faith. That if we have a genuine heart posture towards the Lord, then that will drive us outside of ourselves into the lives of others to make change in this world. So I really want you to understand about the Micah mandate. If we're going to talk about justice, if you're going to contemplate and think about justice, if you're going to be advocates of justice, that you connect your spirituality and your service to one another. And that's exactly what Micah is doing here when he says, walk humbly, love mercy, do justice. So let me read Micah 6, 8 again for us as we look at this concept of what it means to walk humbly. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would allow your word to sink deeply into our lives. That it wouldn't just fill our thoughts as concepts, it wouldn't just kind of warm our, uh, our hearts with emotion, but that together, head and heart would lead to hands and feet kind of ministry. That we would obey the mandate that Micah is giving us. And that we would connect these ideas of what it looks like to live dependently so that we would also be advocates and seekers of good in this world. Lord, form us, take us where we are, 
with all the things we've got on our minds and the fears and our weakness and the wounds we just sang about and bring joy to bear. Lord, we pray for humility on the front end of this that we might receive your word even as we think about humility. Lord, take us out of ourselves and into you and into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the millennial generation, of which you are a part and on the edge of now, um, is, is an interesting generation. You know, statistically, um, it's something like uh, there are a, a thousand uh, selfies posted uh, on Instagram every 10 seconds. And Snapchat's worse, right? 8,700 Sna- uh, chats, snaps, whatever they are. Yeah, I'm old. Um, uh, it, it, uh, get, get sent every second, 8,700. Um, it, it is estimated that our, the millennial generation will post at least 25,000 pictures of their own face before they die. Some of you have already exceeded that, right? <laughs> and... Um, in a Time article written by uh, a guy named Joel Stein several years ago, uh, Time Magazine wrote uh, an article, uh, he wrote an article in Time Magazine called The Millennials, The Me, Me, Me Generation. And it was pretty harsh. It was hard because what Part of the conclusion there, he had some redemptive things to say ultimately, but he said basically that the millennial generation tends to be lazy, entitled narcissists. Now, I think that the human condition has always been narcissistic, and we'll get into that. You just have cameras, uh, right? Um, and if you remember where the, the term narcissist comes from, it comes from a Greek tragedy of a guy named Narcissus. It's an unfortunate name. Um, and um, this guy was strong. He was a hunter. He, he wandered the woods. Um, you know, he would have been on the front cover of some romance novel. He was beautiful and uh, he knew it about himself. And um, anyone who would see uh, the Greek tragedy goes, uh, Narcissus would fall in love with him. And there was a woman uh, one day who was walking through the woods. Her name was Echo. Greek tragedy saying, hey, if a, if, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? Echo is wandering the woods. That's where that comes from. But uh, her name was Echo and she looked upon Narcissus and she wanted to give him a hug. That's weird. But she wanted to give him a hug because she was falling in love with him. And he rejected her. Well, that really disturbed the goddess of revenge, Nemesis. And so Nemesis decided to punish Narcissus. And what did Narcissus end up being punished by? Nemesis brought him to a pool of water, a stream where he could see his reflection and he looked in and he saw how beautiful he was, how amazing he was, and he was trapped. He was engrossed with his own reflection. 
He was in love with himself. And ultimately, the Greek tragedy, as it is, uh, ends because he finds out it's a trick and that he can't actually get to his lover because it's him, and he kills himself. It's tragic. That's why the name Greek tragedy, right? Um, but I think that there's something extraordinarily truthful for us here. Is that if we are fighting for our own image, if we are in love with ourselves, if we are the heroes of our own story, if we are constantly trying to filter life to promote ourselves, if we are fighting to hold on to our own image and who we are, then we will never have our hands free to care for others. Pride will never allow for justice. And Micah wants us to understand that walking humbly with our God, walking dependently upon our God is absolutely essential to pursuing the good in the world, the the good life flourishing. And by the way, just remember, who are you listening to? What we said last night, that that the world says that's exactly the opposite. That's dangerous. You will threaten everything that you hold dear if you let go of yourself. If, if you don't be the center of your story, then you'll get trampled on. And you will be um, uh, looked past. And, and, and people will not love you. And the gospel is a countercultural message. And it says the exact opposite to you. If you are truly going to experience the freedom of the gospel and God's grace, then you have got to let go of yourself. And when you do that, then you will be in a posture to actually begin to serve others. You need to walk humbly with your God. Jesus said a similar thing in Luke 14, 11. He said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Apostle Peter also said in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Humility has been called the the queen of the Christian virtues. That it is essential for us to cultivate humility. And I think it's hard for us. I think it's hard for us because of our natural uh, sinful posture. It's not just you who are the me, me, me generation. That's always been the case. Uh, Our narcissism might have manifested itself in different forms. It might have been narcissism that remains really buttoned up. Or it might be eccentric and kind of hedonistic. But we've always, the human condition is that we love ourselves. And we convince ourselves that the way of flourishing is to love ourselves. That we stand on our rights and we get ours and then we kind of convince ourselves that once we get all that we need, we'll then begin to be generous. And that's wrong. And you know people like that. Maybe that's your own heart. 
Because there's an insatiable appetite for me. And I never end up being an instrument of justice and mercy and good in the world if I'm consumed with myself. And so Micah's going to take us outside of ourselves. And I want to look at three things briefly for our time this morning. The first thing is what, what humility is and is not, because there's a lot of confusion there. How Jesus models humility. And then ultimately, I want to kind of reflect for just a few minutes on the freedom that is given to us if we are truly humble. If we are truly taken outside of the center of our stories, of, of the blessing that God gives as Jesus even talked about, that, that he who humbles himself will be exalted, he will be blessed, he will be made whole. And so what is humility and what it is not? Um, some people assume that humility is a personality type. Uh, you know, like if you're introverted, you must be humble. Uh, you don't want to be the center of attention, so that's natural humility. No, that's not really the gospel humility we're talking about here. Um, uh, also some people, maybe in more Southern culture for some of you, uh, we, we assume humility is like a nicety where, where rich people talk about poor people, where we go, Oh, bless their heart. Right. That's the introduction of, of every Southern gossip, uh, story, bless her heart. And then just go on. But they say, you know, um, you know, Oh, he comes from humble means. That's usually people with greater means talking down to people. That's not what we're really talking about. We're not talking about economic status there or uh, it's not a patronizing tone. We're also not talking about humility as a nicety. You know, like if, um, you know, Stephen, come up here. I've given you an award. And he goes, oh, I'm so humbled to be here tonight. No, that's not what we're talking about here. So, so what is it? Well, a couple more things that it's not. Humility is not uncertainty. That's a big one in your culture and and in our generational moment. That the assumption, especially for Christians, that is if you're going to be humble, then you need to be kind of ambivalent about what you believe. And Micah is saying, no, no, you need to be convinced of what you believe in order to be humble because the content of what we believe about God's grace gives you the freedom towards self-forgetfulness. That is actually the substance and being more anchored and more convinced of the truth of the gospel, not ambivalent, not apathetic, Not uncertain, but a certainty of the grace of God in order to free you from being the hero of your story. Which ultimately turns many of our friends uh, away from the gospel because they see the pride of the church. And, And as though Christians are people who have somehow arrived, like I'm standing on the stage up here and I go, oh, you know what, I'm... I've come to Jesus. Let me help you up here too. Nobody wants that. And so we're not talking about an uncertainty and we're also not talking about kind of this notion of arrival. We're talking about a gospel humility so that we are convinced of grace so that it actually bears fruit in graciousness. We're also not talking about when we're talking about humility, we're not talking about being a doormat. Um, You you can't get away from certainty by passivity. 
Micah's mandate, he is calling us to pursue something. He is calling us to activity, not passivity. You can never get to justice by being apathetic. Jesus had very harsh words for the Pharisees who spent so much time in their religiosity and they overlooked the people who were in need. Matthew 25, he actually ends up condemning them even though they had done great services, religious services in, their na- in His name. They didn't feed the poor. They didn't clothe the naked. They didn't give water to the thirsty. Does that mean you're saved by those things? No, it doesn't. It means it's an evidence of the fact that you are active in the world because you have received the grace of God truly. And humility also is not self-loathing. This is a really important one. Because some of you, uh, if you're more melancholy... Uh, in your spirit and your personality, sometimes you can div- you can you don't carry out the kind of pr- pride and this bravado, like oh man, I'm the greatest in the world. This self-aggrandizing, kind of exalting myself, but pride manifests itself in your life by self-loathing. I hate myself. I can't stand who I am. Do you understand that is pride? You need to repent of that. Because traditional pride, the self-aggrandizing kind of pride that boasts of yourself is basically looking to Jesus and going, hey, you know what? I don't need your grace because I am sufficient for myself. But the self-loathing side of pride basically says, I'm so sorry, Jesus, your grace is not enough. I'm just too bad. Your grace isn't powerful enough to raise me up. And so don't fall in the ditch of pride and assume because you're not, you know, everybody goes, whoa, they're, they're a bit much, that you're, you avoid pride by falling into the other ditch of going, no, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I can't do anything right. Jesus saves sinners. He doesn't assume your sin is an obstacle to His grace. He can meet every aspect of your weakness with the power of His Gospel. And so humility is not self-loathing. So what is it? I love what Tim Keller says about this in his little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he says this, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. It is letting go of me being the center of the story or always tying the narratives of my conversations back to me or what I'm getting out of it, but that you are truly freed in the gospel to be self-forgetful. That you don't have to think about yourself because you have a God who is fully committed to you. That you have freedom. We'll talk about that in a second. But we see first, Jesus really model this humility. God, and this is this point here, that Jesus models humility for us. What I want you to understand about this is that God's call, His mandate for us to um, walk humbly with God is not an abstract act. 
It's not just God goes, you know what? I'm, uh, I've got some extra time. What should I make my people do? Uh, you know what I think? I think they should be a humble people. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. No, Jesus calls us to humility because he is humble. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him and ultimately to do justice in the world because he takes up his cross in order to bring justice to the world. It's not an abstract concept. Humility is not just, you know, an abstract virtue that God thought might be good for you. It's something that he actually walks into. And two things Jesus does here that I want to point out about him walking in humility. The first thing is this, that when Jesus walks in humility, he knows your weakness. That we don't have a God who just stands in heaven and goes, hey, y'all down there. You should do something about the mess you made. Know that we have a God who condescends and enters into our mess to overcome our mess. So he understands what it feels like to be falsely accused. He understands what it means to truly be tempted. He understands what it feels like to be overwhelmed or the temptation to be overwhelmed with just how big of mess life is. He understands what it means to be lonely because all of his friends turned away from him and abandoned him. He knows what it is to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it is to be tired and hurting at the end of a long day. He knows what it is to invite someone into the grace of the gospel and to be rejected and to be maligned because of it. He knows what it is to say, I want to love you genuinely and someone assume that he is hating them. He understands your weakness and he calls you to humility because he experienced that humiliation. And the other aspect of Jesus walking into humility here is that he absorbs injustice when he does that. That he walks into our mess to overcome it. And so Jesus understands that there's a connection between serving and suffering. And he will not eliminate that for you either. Part of humility is accepting this world is fractured, we are fractured, and it is walking humbly with a God who is the healer of that. Not kind of taking his tools and taking his agenda and going, okay, God, follow me. But him looking at us and going, no, follow me. And as I lead you to serve others, I will also lead you to suffer for others. That if you are going to be advocates of justice in this world, then it may mean that you don't receive justice. Are you willing to accept that? It's part of what Micah is saying is humility here. Of following the path of Jesus. But I want to say, just in, in closing for this morning, I want to look at just a few ways that if we embrace this kind of humility, that it actually frees us 
to be pursuers of justice, that there are blessings, even though there is a struggle, there is going to be sacrifice, there is going to be suffering. If we are to be humble and walk with our God and be dependent upon God, there is great blessing in that as well. A truly humble people are a truly free people. And again, radically countercultural. Completely opposite to everything you're inundated with all the time. But good, really good, the best good news. Because humility frees you. Some of the ways that humility frees you is this. That it takes you off of the roller coaster ride of relationship with God. That if you are a recipient of His grace, rather than desperately trying to prove your worth to others and your worth to God, that He pulls you off of that up and down roller coaster. We live in a Christian culture. Some of you who were raised in the church were experiencing that we are obsessed with Christian highs. We're all chasing mountaintops. We want to experience something that is radical and life-changing. And in an attempt to build our spirituality around that, we are just chasing after and oftentimes defeated and weary. And God is saying, walk humbly with me. Depend upon me. Sometimes I will take you into the valley of the shadow of death if you're walking with me. And sometimes I will lead you to places of genuine and great refreshment and flourishing. But I'm going to pull you off of the roller coaster of good and bad days with Jesus and just allow you to humbly walk with me. It's not sexy. Not sexy Christianity. It's just humble Christianity. But it happens to be life-giving. Because some of you know the tragedy of riding that roller coaster over and over again. Oh, I'm close to God. Wait a second, I'm far from God. God's really happy with me. I think God's really upset with me. That whiplash effect is devastating to your spiritual formation. It's like a little kid who grows up. Some of you grew up in tough circumstances where your parents either were divorced or your your parents were incarcerated or you didn't have enough money or you lived with an aunt and uncle because your parents were addicts. I know those stories. And when you're in those destabilizing situations, it's hard to grow up and to feel safe. And if we import that kind of insecurity into our relationship with God, you will never grow up into people who are advocates for justice because you will always be insecure. And God doesn't want you to be insecure. He wants you to walk humbly with Him. It also frees you if we're humble. It frees us from anger because we don't have to be our own defenders. We don't have to be ready for a fight. Oh, you don't believe that? Mm. You know that. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Don't do that. Walk humbly with God. Be willing to listen. 
Listen to God and listen to your friends. Listen to those around you who do not believe and have genuine questions. Don't always be on the defensive because you rest secure. You can invite your friends to say, come, test drive this faith. Come and see it. Taste and see that God is good. Not because you've got all the answers. Not because you've taken some great apologetics classes. But because you're walking humbly with God. And depending upon His grace. It is the freedom from self-promotion. The exhausting experience of always filtering your life to look good. And it's not. And therefore it's also the freedom if we're truly humble. It's the freedom to be weak. Your RUF group. Your church. When people walk in and let's just say an alien lands in your RUF large group next week. What are they going to discern about your people? About who you are as a community? Are they going to go, man, this is the, these are the best looking people I've ever seen. Hey, oh, these are the smartest people I've ever seen. This is God's best. I know some of you think that. But one of the things they should see, if this is true, is weakness. They should see, wow, these are a radically dependent people. That they are not promoting themselves, they are utterly promoting Jesus. They are free to not be strong because He is. That's what gospel humility looks like. It frees us to be weak. It also frees us from being the savior of everyone. Some of you struggle with that. If you're a helper personality type, you're a two on the Enneagram, right? That, that, That you find your identity in helping others and they really need you. No, they really need Jesus. And if you create a certain kind of dependency... Because it fills you up and makes you feel like you're doing good. And that person ultimately becomes codependent upon you and not dependent upon Jesus. You have not helped them. And you've actually fostered pride rather than modeled gospel humility. It's the freedom to be around different people. I praise the Lord for the different cultures and colors and voices that are in this room. And we pray that that would even be more true because the kingdom of God is a humble people that unites all types of voices from every tribe, tongue, and nation together because it's only together that we can magnify the glory of God. But that means we have to be humble so that we won't promote our own culture, our own experience of life as the experience of life and then judge everybody else because then we'll all be in a room with people that look like us, sound like us, struggle like us, and we'll all be blind. And we got to be humble. God is leading us into humility if He is ever going to take us into justice. It cannot be about me. You need to be freed from you so that you can be for others. You don't need to advance the idea that you're the hero of the story, of your own story, or of somebody else's story. 
Micah is calling us to connect our spirituality in our service. That we walk humbly with our God as we pursue mercy and ultimately justice. Take ourselves out of the center of the story. And it is freeing. And it is also ultimately inviting to others around us. That they might not see you and how great you are, but how great our God is. A God of grace and mercy. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the call of humility and we recognize that it is hard. I don't want to be humble. I like being the center of my story. I like to fight for what I believe and what I want and what I feel like I am due and my rights. And please, Lord, take me out of that place because I will never be an advocate of justice if that is my posture towards others. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Bless this day, even as we think about what it means to be humble, to, to depend upon you, that we might have the security and freedom to serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.